0: Of course we should cast, and we must cast our mind back to Calvary, and we must all raise up that cry that says, worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Uh, Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm number 33. This morning I'm going to uh, preach in a slightly different fashion. I'm going to take a few different verses uh, as we consider this very important matter of the Word of God. And this morning I want us to think about the quality of God's Word. And we read together in Psalm 33 and verse 4. For the Word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. The well-known Church of England, Minister John Stott, once wrote, We must allow the Word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. For such things to take place in our life, it must mean that this word, these scriptures, this Bible has something about it that no other book ever written has. It is not that the Bible is different, it is unique. There is nothing that even comes close to comparing to the Bible. And our assertion this morning is that the Bible is infinitely greater than the sum total of all man's thoughts and plans and wisdom, for this is the Word of God. We firmly place Scripture above us, our thoughts, our hopes, and we do this because we make the assertion that this is God speaking to us. Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, said, the soul can do without everything except the word of God, without which none at all of its wants are provided for. In other words, Scripture, God's word meets all of our requirements. You know, the Bible gives us more than knowledge. The Bible provides us more than entertainment. The Bible uh, allows us to feel greater things than just happiness Reading the Bible is more than just a way of passing time and coming to Scripture is much more beautiful and poignant than simply seeing, reading it as a duty to fulfill. Why? This is God's Word. Why? This is a Word of quality. And so I'm going to take us on a journey through a few Scriptures six in total, that will speak to us this morning about the quality of God's Word. Please just turn a few chapters back to Psalm number 12, and we'll read one verse there. In Psalm 12, what we find is David recognizing the spurious nature, the pride, and the arrogance of the words of men. He sees the words of men, these evildoers round about him, as being wicked. These words are of men are designed to lift up all that is wrong, But, and it's a great but that David has here. David sees God's word, the word of the Lord, as perfect. Without flaw, and entirely right in every possible meaning of that word. Psalm 12, verse 6, simply says this. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. What God says is clean. It is perfect. There are no mistakes. There are no mishaps. These words are different from man's words because they come from God himself. The ultimate contrast here is between a holy and a righteous God and a sinful and a wicked people. And what God says is pure. The Hebrew meaning for this word pure actually speaks about being clean. You might remember a few years ago that marketing ploy, the Daz doorstep challenge. And people were challenged to bring out their dirtiest washing and they were washed in Daz. And then all of a sudden they were dazzling white, completely clean, completely pure. You might be able to conjure up in your mind's eye getting up on a snowy morning and having seen the snow fall through the the whole of the night. And the place is just pure white, perfect, pristine. This is the image that David Conjures up about God's word, it is pure. He speaks about refining it in the furnace. Silver was uh, one of the most precious metals to David's generation, as it is to us. Uh, But when it was taken out of the ground, it was still filled with impurities. It had to be melted down. And as it was melted down and turned into a liquid metal, all of the impurity would rise to the surface. And whoever was working with it would skim off all the pollutants all of the impurities. But this metal worker that David refers to doesn't just do that once with the silver. He does it seven times. Now, when you come to the number seven in the Bible, it always means completeness. It always speaks of perfection. This silver, having been refined seven times, is as pure as it possibly can be. And this is what God's word is like. There is nothing impure or unclean about it. There is nothing imperfect in what it says. All that God says is excellent. It is impeccable. It is complete. It is without blemish. It is without defect. It is spotless. It is supreme. It is untarnished. It is faultless. And so there can be no doubts in our minds and our hearts about this foundational truth. That this word of God has a quality that no other written or spoken word has in either the whole of history or in the whole of heaven, because this is God speaking. We, when we read God's word, are reading something that is infallible, that is inerrant. No other book written can make such a claim. No other words that are spoken has such a lofty place in our world. And this makes one matter clear to us that whatever Scripture declares is abundantly correct. And so when we read in the Bible the things that we find difficult, we don't question the Bible. We question our hearts. When we see things in the Bible that we wish we didn't have to obey, we don't say to God, no, I will disobey you. We say to the sinful pool in our lives, no, I will not obey you we have no scope we have no room and we should have no need even to question anything that the bible demands the bible is god's word that is perfect in its own right it stands alone but god's word is perfect in its origin Uh, please come to the new testament and into second peter chapter 1 2 Peter chapter 1. And one verse there is verse 21 that we will read. Now Peter in 2 Peter is writing his second letter. That's what the second means. Uh, And the purpose of 2 Peter is he's about to be executed. And so he writes to a group of Christians to encourage them. And what are his dying words almost? But to say to them, do not trust the false teachers. Do not trust a false word. But stay true. To the truth that is God's word. Well, these people were in terrible danger of false teachers. But Peter knew what the truth was. And so he writes in 2 Peter 1 verse 21. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. God's word is perfect because of where it comes from. In the Old Testament prophets, they were men uh, and some women too who received God's word. And in receiving God's word, what they did was they communicated it to other people. They didn't interpret it, they didn't put a sugar coating on it, they didn't try and make it culturally relevant. They simply communicated what God had given them, and that is what they transferred uh, to other people. And this is what Peter is speaking about here. It wasn't that Jeremiah or Isaiah woke up one morning and said, I've got a great idea. Let me tell you about it. No, when they arose in the morning and God spoke to them, they were compelled to tell others what they had received. And they did it faithfully. And they did it accurately. And Peter makes the very clear point here that God's Word is not man making something up. It's not even man interpreting something. It is man giving to other people what God has spoken. And this is what we have in Scripture. We have God's Word. Given to us in its fullness, in its entirety. That's what we read in Revelation 22. It is complete. Scripture is closed in the sense that what God has spoken to us, He has given to us in the Bible. And that's the quality of it. Where Scripture comes from clearly tells us about its quality. And when we read the Bible and we feel perhaps that pull to just ignore what is being said, we realize that we're not reading a book, but we're hearing from God. It's a bit like the secretary to the managing director in a company who goes to a department head and says, you need to do this, that, or the other thing. That department head might think himself greater or better than the secretary, but he does what the secretary tells him to do. Why? Because the instruction has come down from the managing director now I'm not comparing the Bible to a secretary I'm just laying out what our thought process might be like that when we read the Bible we might think well it would be easy just to disobey it but then we stop and we think and we remember that this has come from God and we do what it says we must do so when the Bible commands us to do something or to refrain from doing something we obey because God is speaking to us the quality of God's word firstly is this it is perfect but secondly i want us to see in first peter uh, just a few pages before we have read first peter chapter 1 that God's word is not just perfect but God's word perseveres it endures it carries on The circumstances of Peter's first letter is that he was writing to the same Christians as he wrote to in 2 Peter, but he was writing to them then to encourage them in the face of great persecution. They were being persecuted, they were being beaten, they were even being put to death because they belonged to Jesus Christ. And Peter can think of no better thing to encourage them than to say this. 1 Peter 1 verse 25. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. How does Peter encourage them? But he quotes, he quotes from Isaiah 40, verse 8. God's word endures forever. God's word will not fade or disappear. And this is the great encouragement to the people that what they're reading, what they're hearing, what they're being taught is of such substance that it will never vanish. You know, we can go back into history and we can look at different philosophies, different economic theories, different ways of doing diplomacy and we can see how down through the years these things have changed. That people have started to do things differently. But not so with God's word. It remains the same forever. It endures, it remains, it rides out It withstands, it is still standing, it persists. And Peter points to God's word and he says, when you are facing these dangerous times, turn to the word of God. For it will never disappoint you. It will never let you down. It will never cause you to be shamed in front of God. And that this is encouragement to us as well. That we keep turning to this word of God. That when times are good, we turn to it. When times are bad or difficult, we turn to it. And what we find in it is the enduring word from our heavenly Father. What an encouragement. It is always there. It is always the same. But the third aspect I want to just lay before you about the quality of God's word is it protects. Psalm 119 The longest chapter, not just in Psalms, but in the whole of Scripture. A chapter that has 176 verses. And in each of those 176 verses, there is one theme that runs from verse 1 to verse 176. And that theme that is woven through that psalm, that acrostic psalm, is the beauty, the majesty, the importance of the Word of God. And perhaps its most notable verse is found in Psalm 119, verse 105, that simply says this, Your word, your word, God, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word protects us by making his way clear. We don't know who wrote this particular psalm. Some say it was David. Others say it was Ezra. Yet others say it was Moses. Moses. It doesn't matter whose pen touched the parchment. It is God who speaks to us. And whoever wrote it did not see the word of God as a last resort, but as a first port of call. The first thing that this psalmist did was turn to God's word for his protection. And what does God's word do? But It illuminates our feet. It shows us where we're standing. And it says to us that where we're standing is either good or bad. If we're standing on what is good, then we're encouraged. But if we're standing on those things that are wrong, that are sinful, that are not of God, God's word illuminates it and shows it and tells us that where we are and what we are doing is wrong. wrong. But more than that, what it does is, in lighting the path, it points forward to where we would like to go, what our desires might be. And similarly, a light is shone upon it, and the uh, integrity of what we would plan to do is assessed. And what this protection does is it says to us that what we are doing, or perhaps what we are not doing, is either good or bad in the eyes of God. Because let me tell you that what we do before God is never neutral. And so Scripture protects us by laying bare the quality of our personal life, of our plans. And then what the Bible does is it gives us the corrective action to put things right. Let me challenge you with this. Are you aware that if you're not reading your Bible, if you're not reading the Scripture? Regularly and continually and frequently, then you're placing yourself in great danger. Because the minute you stop reading God's word, you stop hearing from God. And when you stop hearing from God, you start doing the things that your heart wants you to do. And what does the Bible say about our hearts? But that they are human, they are sinful. And they're most seductive. So, what can we do to remain pleasing to God and to enjoy this protection? A simple application here. Read. Think. Read again and respond. God's word protects. But the second last thing that I want to lay before is about the quality of God's word is that it provides. Jeremiah chapter 15. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. The prophet who had a hard life. Why did he have a hard life? Well, Jeremiah simply heard from God and spoke what he heard to other people. And you know something, the folks round about Jeremiah did not like what they were hearing. Because Jeremiah was saying, Well, he was saying what God was saying, and what God was saying was, you as a people have departed from my ways. You as a people are worshiping idols. You as a people are going your own path, and you have abandoned me, your God. And as Jeremiah tells the people that, they don't quite like to hear it. And so they abuse this man terribly. He is persecuted. He's ridiculed, but that's the least of his worries, because he suffers also. he was placed in the stocks and had things thrown at him. And if, this, if that wasn't humiliating and painful enough, he was then taken. And he was dropped down into a well that had emptied, into the mud and the stench. And there he was left to die. He was rescued, but he was a weeping prophet because he had a hard time telling people the truth of God's word. And you might think if Jeremiah got up in the morning and God was speaking to him again, he, he would go, oh, not more. Not more. I really don't want to do this anymore. But what does he say in Jeremiah 15, verse 16? He says this, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. Oh, Jeremiah loved to hear from God. And it didn't matter what the message was. It didn't matter the danger that it placed them. Jeremiah went and did his job. Because whenever he he heard from God, he was provided for. Whenever he ate God's word, he was sustained and he was filled. And it was the hearing of God's word that gave to Jeremiah everything that he needed. And so Jeremiah wanted more of God's word. And more, and more. He couldn't get enough of it. Because he knew as he heard from God that he was in the arms of God that he was being guided by God and that he was being provided for by God. That is what we should be developing and nurturing in our lives is a hunger for the word of God. Not just to come on a Sunday and to hear somebody preach from it, but a hunger that says when we get up in the morning, I have to read God's word today because it will be everything to us it will be comfort, it will be reassurance, it will be love, it will be support, it will be guidance. And the more we read it, the more convinced we will be that we are meeting with our God. The more we read, the more we are provided for. From guidance to teaching, from help to reassurance, it is a constant giver of what we need. God's Word provides. That is the quality of God's Word. But the final thing, as far as my mind goes, and let me tell you that there is much, much more to the quality of God's word than I could ever convey. But the final thing in my mind and my thinking about the quality of God's word is found in John chapter 15, verse three. Jesus, just to paint the picture, has been in the upper room. They have celebrated that last Passover. The Lord's Supper communion was instituted and Jesus is about to be taken from his disciples and put through his trial and his execution. And as they leave the upper room, they are winding their way through Jerusalem and Jesus is speaking to his disciples. One last bit of advice, you might say. And we see from this verse that God's word has the quality to cleanse. The verse says, John 15 verse 3, And he's speaking to his disciples and Jesus says, you're already clean. Why? Because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now we know from scripture that Jesus is described as the word of God, John chapter 1. But here Jesus is not referring to himself in this word particularly. But what he's saying, the things I have spoken to you, the things that I have told you, all of my teaching to you, all of my preaching to you, has cleansed you, has made you clean. I have dealt with the sin in your life by the application of my word in your life. What Christ had done for these disciples was he had broken the power of sin over their lives. And I've deliberately left this point to the very end because I want to speak to each one of our hearts this morning and ask us the question, have I experienced this purifying work of the Word of God? What do I mean? Well, much of Scripture points out the sinfulness of our heart. Much of Scripture would say to us, and rightly so, that we are not right before God. One simple verse sums it up, Romans 3.23, many of us know it. For How many people have sinned? All have sinned. And all of us fall short of the glory of God. That is the reality. It's not just the people of a different town, or a different nation, or a different street, or a different color, or a different creed. It is every person. And that means it is every pastor of every church has sinned. Every elder of every church, every deacon of every church, every member of every church, every member of the human race has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. But yet, what God's word does teach us is that Jesus Christ came into this world. And Christ took all of that sin upon himself, even though he was perfect. We sometimes sing it in that uh, great praise song. He became sin who knew no sin. And Paul writes and he says, the reason that Jesus Christ did that, the reason that he became sin, the reason that he took your sin was so that he might bear the punishment of it and so that you might become the righteousness of God. You might stand clean before God, that you might stand forgiven before God and as God looks upon you he doesn't see a sinner but he sees a sinner saved by his grace a sinner standing in the righteousness of Christ that is what being purified means that is what being cleansed means that is what Jesus says you are already clean why because these disciples had trusted in him and if you have not trusted in Christ this morning then let me tell you you're not clean it's not that you're a worse person than somebody else It's not that somebody might be better than you because they've trusted in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, they're not. But if you have not trusted in Christ, then as God looks upon you, he sees the state of your heart as hardened towards him, as sinful towards him. And yet what we must do is let the word of God work on us. It has this quality to save. You know, if you've not been purified by God's word, then you won't care if it's perfect. It won't matter to you that God's word perseveres. You'll have no need for its protection and you will be too self-sufficient for its provision. But where God's word in all of its quality, in all of its power, in all of its authority comes and comes to your heart, you will realize you need all of this through Jesus Christ for there is no other way to come to God except through Christ Jesus. And so I plead with you this morning, if you don't know Christ, and you know something, it doesn't matter whether you're old or young. It doesn't matter whether you have a university education or not. It doesn't matter whether you're employed or not. It doesn't matter who you are. You need Jesus Christ if you have not come to him and let me plead with you come and be cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ that is revealed to us through the word of god you know the attitude even the belief that you have towards god's word will have no impact upon these truths that we have spoken if you say well i don't believe god's word is perfect or enduring or that's fine but it doesn't change the truth that it is perfect that it does Persevere, that it does protect, that it does provide, that it does purify. What you think doesn't change the Word of God. Because the Word of God cannot be broken. The truth is quite clear God's Word is a Word of real, of deep, of lasting quality. But what the Word of God wants is to transform your life. And if you already belong to Jesus Christ, you know something? God's Word was given to you, that it might transform your life as well to make you more and more like Jesus Christ. So be confident in its perfection. Be encouraged by its perseverance. Come under its protection. Enjoy its provision. And submit to its purification. Know the quality of God's word. Delight in the quality of God's word. Bathe yourself in the quality of God's word, but bow beneath and before the quality of God's word. For he has given it to us in order that he might challenge our hearts, that he might convict our hearts, and that he might bring us to the Savior that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for our study this morning into this most wonderful subject. Because we suddenly realize that you speak to us. Oh yes, you speak through creation, but you speak to our hearts directly through your word. And we thank you that you have not left us without a rudder or a steering column, but you have given us your word to direct us and to help us. But we thank you so much more. For it is your word that reveals you to us. And so maybe hunger after it. maybe dig ever deeper into it. That you would speak to us and help us to see more of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, it is our prayer here this morning that should there be even one heart. Still to surrender to Christ that today would be that day that they would come. And know that they are a sinner. And trust in Jesus Christ to be cleansed of sin. We do nothing, but the Holy Spirit accomplishes everything. And so we ask for his presence and working here in this place now, speaking to each of our hearts, challenging us, making us realize how privileged we are to be in Christ. And may we submit our wills to you once again, bowing before you, in adoration, in awe, and in love. For we do pray all of this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.